Hey there, thanks so much for tuning in to the City Light Church podcast. We're so honored you've joined us. We hope that today's podcast brings you hope, encouragement, and most of all, adds value to you in your walk with Jesus Christ. We long to see people grow from where they are closer to where God desires them to be, and it's our hope that this podcast is an essential element in that process for you. So grab a pen, your Bible, and a journal, and let's dive into today's message. Compassion. I'm going to dive into that in a moment as we read the text and we're going to look at this text, but we're going to talk about this wrap-up of what's going on in chapter 9 of the text. And so in, in, in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 35 through 38 this morning. Let's look at it together. And Jesus went throughout, and y'all said all, all, all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, not the local church, right? The local church is an expression of the kingdom, but let's be clear, it's about something bigger. The gospel of the kingdom and, oh, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to his disciples, by the way, a disciple is a learner, right? Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, therefore, now, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. This is a transition in the text. When we get these transition points, we should pay great attention. Jesus has already been doing ministry. In chapter 1, we see Jesus coming to planet earth in a manger. In chapter 2, we see a little bit of a glimpse of his early childhood. He had to move around a lot. Can I get a witness? In chapter 3, we see him getting coronated, if you will, or identified as the ministry that is going to take place, the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. In chapter 4, he gets tested by the devil. Can I get a witness? Then in chapter 5, everything slows down. You see, chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. It's the great treaties that Jesus gave us. And people have mined it and mined it and mined it for year after year after year. And you still can't grab a hold of the richness there. Jesus himself is preaching from the Old Testament saying, This is God's word. And here's what you've heard, but here's what you've forgotten. You have heard it said, but now I, God Almighty, say to you. Because they lost the spirit, even though they had the text. Now, I believe every Christian ought to read the Sermon on the Mount every month. I'm going to challenge you today. Read the Sermon on the Mount every month. You know, it's got those little statements in there like, you know, turn the other cheek. I know quickly how I'm operating in the flesh or I'm in the spirit when I get offended. Because when I get offended, you know that car that cut me off this morning? Coffee on the windshield. 
No, 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 it didn't happen that way, but trust me, that riles up in the flesh. And so the Sermon on the Mount is one of those things that keep us grounded in walking with this Jesus that we proclaim to love, honor, and worship. And then in chapter 8 and 9, Jesus is now moving from showing them the big sermon to showing them how to do the sermon. And in chapter 9, where we're at today, there's a transition. He's about to pass the batons to them. That doesn't mean that Jesus is going to stop doing ministry. He's still interceding for us today. Amen. But that means that Jesus expects us to do something too. And he's going to pass the baton. And in the process of passing the baton, he's got two things in this text that he really, really wants us to get if we're going to be disciples that make disciples. And I want you to see them today. There's two things, two big ideas, and I'm going to tap out both of those big ideas with some smaller points in there. The first one is to observe the mission. The second one is to engage the mission. Let's look at observe the mission today. Notice what it says there in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching or proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing all sickness. There's three things under this that I want you to see today. The first is this, gives people doctrine. Jesus always gives people doctrine. Now, I need to make a distinction between doctrine and dogma. Doctrine is what this word says. This word has authority. And this word is sufficient in that the Holy Spirit will use this word to guide us in our expressions and our experiences. And so he gives them doctrine. He teaches them about the kingdom. What the kingdom looks like. If you were confused about that, didn't I just say, I think I said, did I just say Matthew 5, 6, and 7? You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said. See, they had already had some dogma, but they needed to get back to doctrine. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. And he gives them doctrine. He does it in two ways, teaching and preaching. Now, preaching is what I'm doing today. It's a monologue. I'm speaking to you and you're listening. And that preaching can happen in small settings. It can happen in large settings. But that preaching goes on and it does occur. But there's also this teaching thing and that happens all the time. Everybody's in a teachable moment. And Jesus not only sat up and stood up in front of the crowds, he sat down with people across the table. He saw the person that greeted him at the restaurant and the countenance not there where it needed to be. And he would speak into their lives, teaching, always bringing about encouragement about the kingdom. And if there's a kingdom, that means there's a... And if there's a king, that means there are servants or subjects. That means the king is to be obeyed, right? He's talking about the kingdom. He's giving them doctrine. He's doing it by preaching and teaching. And notice where he went. To all of the cities and villages. He was in the big places and he was in the out of sight places. Some of you here today, perhaps God's called you to a ministry that's out of sight. And the enemy is telling you that out of sight ministry is not good enough. You've got more potential. You've got more that you can do. But that's where the assignment is. And so trust the Lord that's giving you the assignment. Because Jesus went to all of those places. And he wants to impact all of those places 
the kingdom. But notice here, doctrine comes first. You've got to know the king. You've got to be in the kingdom. And you have to be a servant to the king. Doctrine. From doctrine comes deliverance. Too often we want to skip doctrine. We want to get to deliverance. Can I get a witness? Most people I know that want to come to Christ, when they're first getting there, there's a crisis in their life, and they want a deliverance. And Jesus is glad to do those things. But that's not the primary thing. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be in the kingdom. Not just getting the benefits, but enjoying the benefactor. He wants us to be in the kingdom. So he gives them doctrine, then he gives deliverance. Notice what he says. He gives deliverance among all the people. Every sickness and every disease. Now, some of you say, well, I haven't gotten my healing yet. Well, you know, some of our healing comes when we die. You didn't just say that, preacher, did you? Oh. You know, during this big C word went on, some people approached me with a lot of fear. And I said, you act like heaven's punishment. You act like heaven's punishment. Like God's going to send you to purgatory. Now, I'm not Catholic, and I'm not against the Catholic, but this doctrine of purgatory, I can't find it in the text. Doctrine. I don't need to go to purgatory. I go to be in the glory of the Lord where sin is no more. Woo, hallelujah. Sin is no more. Guess what? My sin, I don't remember. Your sin against me, I don't remember. In this old world full of sin, I don't remember because sin is no more. I cannot think of a better deliverance than that to have escaped the memory of sin. Makes me want to sing that song because I'm happy. (laughs) But I'll refrain. But Jesus gives deliverance in the here and now too. For his glory. Perhaps you're here today and there's something you need to be delivered from. A bad attitude. An untrusting spirit. Maybe it's a disease or a sickness that you need a deliverance from. I want to let you know Jesus knows and he cares. Avail yourself to him because he can do that. He gives people doctrine. He gives them deliverance. And then he gives his disciples direction. Direction. Look at verse 36. This is a transition. Jesus has speaking about what he's doing ministry-wise to the people. Now he's stepped back into the inner chamber and he's talking only to the 12. Jesus speaking to the 12 knows what he says. He saw the crowds. He's saying, hey, did y'all see what I saw? Jesus saw the crowds. He wants them to see the crowds in all of their different stations in life. And he says, notice what he says. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless with sheep without a shepherd. I want to talk just a moment about this compassion that Jesus has. If you want to have a correlation of this, you need to go back and look at Zechariah chapter 10 and 11. You'll see that God himself is showing in the Old Testament his compassion for people that are sheep without a shepherd. In other words, there was a lot of worship going on, but there wasn't a lot of direction or deliverance going on. People knew there was a God. They didn't know how to get in contact with God. 
Boy, and that's what is needed today. And everyone in this room has an opportunity to help people get in contact relationally with the living God. And Jesus sees that these people are without direction and he has compassion on them. If you want to read somewhere else, go read in Jeremiah. Jeremiah talks about the time when they had no shepherds or the shepherds they had said, peace, peace, when all chaos was going on. And even in Jeremiah says, hey, if you want to serve God, serve the Babylonians. We can't do that. They're pagans. But God told them to do that. And those that did that voluntarily, willingly, they got deliverance. Those who didn't, they died. Jesus sees them helpless. They're wearied. They're bullied. They're without uh, someone to rescue them. And they're unable to rescue themselves against the tormentors. And Jesus has compassion on them. Now, I want to talk about this word compassion for a moment because we get it confused. You see, all these words come from a culture and a language that is very distinctly different than ours. And I'm glad that the Old Testament and New Testament were written in language which we consider dead languages because the words and the definitions don't morph into something else. Their meanings are very concrete and they're very careful. And this word here is a very careful word about Jesus and this compassion. It's not the kind of compassion that is like, you know, oh, little Johnny got a boo-boo. When I think of compassion, that's what I think of, you know, oh, oh, I think of a mother's heart to a child that is injured or to a human being that is hurting. That's not the word here. Let me help you out. The word here is that it, would made him sick to his stomach. He saw, literally the word says, moved in his bowels. He saw the affairs of humanity and it upset his stomach to the point he had to do something. Have you ever been like that? You see someone getting hurt and you have to move into action because something inside of you wells up and it says, I can't take that no more. I got to do something about it. That's what this word means. Something inside of Jesus is welling up. And sometimes that taking action can be slow and methodical and peaceful. I think about the time when someone was bullying one of my coworkers and I just walked up in front of them and I stood between them and the coworker and then I just kept using my presence to move them all the way out the door. The whole time they're screaming in my face saying, I'm going to whip you, I'm going to hit you, you ain't going to do nothing. And I'm like, you're right, I'm not going to do anything except have you arrested if you touch me. <laughs> but we're going to walk out this door and you will comply or I'll make you comply, but one way or the other you're going to comply. Because you're not going to talk to that woman like that. Compassion. That is something that motivates us to do something. That's the word here in the text. Let me ask a question. Has the lostness of the people around you bothered you enough that you're asking the Lord, what must I do?
That's your takeaway today. Move with compassion. Now, that's observing the mission. Let's look at what it means to engage in the mission. Notice there's a change. I talked about that already, the change of the audience. Notice here the imperative. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He's making a declaration. And then he's saying, now, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out people into his harvest. Many scholars write and they say this is the first time Jesus showed them exactly his heartbeat of prayer. And some would argue, no, 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 wait a minute. We, we remember in Matthew 6 that Jesus gave the Lord's prayer or the disciples' prayer or the model prayer. Yes, he did give them that model, and that model can relate to everything that's going on here too. But Jesus is now specifically guiding them to prayer. And he says, therefore, pray to the Lord of harvest that he will send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I think this is very neat. I want you to see something here. This is very, very, very neat. Because these disciples in the first century walking with Jesus, you know what they were doing. They were Jews, right? They were from Israel. What did the Jewish people from Israel understand? The Old Testament. Now, if you go back in history and you find out not only do they understand the Old Testament, but in that particular place and time, the big predominant preaching and teaching that was going on was from the book of Isaiah. Matter of fact, if you'll find out about the Dead Sea Scrolls, that you'll notice there were more copies of the Dead Sea Scrolls that copied Isaiah than any other book there. So Isaiah was the book where everybody was focused on in that period of time. And so I think that Jesus, knowing that he's God, knowing what he wants them to hear, he's trying to trigger their mind because these Jewish people would have learned their Bible, particularly their Old Testament, and they would have been culturally surrounded by Jewish people that really enjoyed the book of Isaiah and the prophecies there. And Jesus is guiding their mind backwards there. So let me help you a little bit about where this is. You can write it down and go back and follow through later. In Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says, and I'm going to paraphrase, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. First, we've got to track Uzziah. Boy, I could go about two hours on him. When he served the Lord, before everything got real good, he served the Lord with humility. When things got good, he said, <laughs> God's so lucky to have a partner like me. I'm going to help him out. And that's when problems happen. And he lived in leprosy until he died outside of the kingdom. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, just the gown that he had on filled up the temple and the temple complex. Now, you have to go and look at that thing. That's huge. <laughs> and what did Isaiah say? Whoa, is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. By the way, when we really get an encounter with God, that's how we feel. <laughs> it's not all flowers. It can become flowers, but it first starts with fertilizer. We are undone. I am an undone, and I'm a man of unclean lips, living amongst a people of unclean lips. And the angels were what? Crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They were flying around. 
And one of the seraphims took a coal from the altar and touched Isaiah's lips. I, I, I need a little excursion for a moment. What was his unclean lips or his dirty mouth? Now, I didn't grow up in the church. When I first started reading that in the Bible, I thought he was cussing like a sailor. I knew what that was all about. That's not what's going on there. Isaiah was a priest. He didn't have foul language. He didn't have foul language. He was serving the Lord as a priest. What was the problem? The problem was this. He lived amongst people that didn't give God glory and thanks in every situation and occasion. They had gotten into going through the motions. They did their religious activities without truly thinking about and thanking the God who saved them. And Isaiah recognized now he's not been given glory to God. And he lives among people that go around with religious expressions without a relational encounter and they've not been given glory to God either. And he says, woe is me, I'm undone. And the angel takes the coal and touches his mouth and cleanses him. And what happens when God restores a person? He says, you're clean, by the way. You're clean. What happens when God restores a person? Well, let me give you a little bit of insight again into Isaiah 6. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah overhears God praying. Now, I love to hear Pastor Ken pray. And perhaps here in the room, there are certain people that you love to hear pray because you know they're encountering God personally and they're having that and you want to be close to them and you want to rub up next to them because you want to learn to have that relational component with them and with God like that. But what is it to hear God himself pray? Mm. Now, that got your attention, right? Isaiah got to hear God pray. And guess what? We're disciples in the New Testament, and we have all the books, so guess what? We got to hear God pray a lot. And God's prayer was, hmm, Son, Holy Spirit, who'll go out there and go for us to talk about us? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's eavesdropping in on the prayer. Now, I tell you, don't ever be ashamed of eavesdropping in on somebody's prayer. My Pentecostal grandmother and my Baptist grandma both were praying, so I kind of got both of it, you know. And my Pentecostal grandma would sit on that porch swing in the morning with an eighth grade education and an open Bible, and she'd say, Lord Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to feed these boys today. If you don't feed them, we're going to starve. I don't have nothing to feed these boys today. And she'd rock in that porch swing, and I'd listen, and I'd say, is her God real? And she never got on the telephone. She never called anyone, and people would bring produce and bring pig and bring all of that. And I saw as a young child a holy God who was prayed to that answered prayer for someone who was desperate. Amen. Made an impact on me. It's good to eavesdrop in on people's prayers. Isaiah eavesdrops in on those prayers. Here's what I love about it. This, I love this. Isaiah does something that we often don't do. Now, when I was a pastor, one of my favorite statements was this. You need to volunteer for this ministry or you'll be voluntold. 
<laughs> so I already got a witness. <laughs> you can volunteer or Monday I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to volunteer you. And, and, and how do we respond when we get voluntold? We don't always like that, right? Sometimes we're like, you know, somebody needed to nudge us a little bit. But most of the time, we just don't enjoy that. We do it reluctantly. But Isaiah doesn't get voluntold. He eavesdrops in on God's prayer and he says, Here I am, send me. And Jesus is tapping into that. When he says, look, look, look at the text, what he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers and harvest. In Isaiah 6, the Lord says, I want to send people out all the way 750, 2,000 years earlier. He's saying, I want to send people out. And Jesus is saying the same prayer. And he is letting his disciples in on his prayer life. Pray the Lord of harvest. One thing happens when we start praying about something that is on the heart of God, we then too get that same compassion. We've got to do something about it. To send out labors into the harvest, and the harvest is the kingdom. And it has multiple expressions in many continents and countries. Well, I want to share with you today my expression of that. I started a ministry years ago called Reaching Romania. I don't know if you have it on the screen or not, if you can see that. Reaching Romania. And then Reaching Romania, I, I need to just share with you about the call and how God speaks. And I so appreciate Pastor Ken talked about what the house mandate is, but then also the Holy Spirit mandate. And I express it like this. The need is everywhere. That's the next slide. The need is everywhere. The call is specific. Do you know every time I go to Romania, and I'll be going there tonight, I'll get an invitation to preach in 20 churches. I can't be in 20 churches at one time. But I can be in one. And so this is where I have to listen to the call of God, not just look at the need. The need is everywhere. Jesus, did not Jesus say, the poor you will have with you always? We will not ever eradicate poverty. But God calls us specifically to touch people in poverty. And so we've got to be really sensitive. The need is everywhere. The call is specific. And so in, two, in 1993, Dr. Ted Bashford, who is the founder of this ministry, he saw a documentary on TV about the Romanian children and the orphanages there. This was in 1993. Communism fell in 1989, December of 1989. And all of the curtain was pulled back, and we got to see how they were treating children over there, and it was atrocious. He said, I need to do something about that, so he prayed. He prayed for seven years. In 2000, he went just to see what God wanted to do. I met him in 2003. I'll tell you my story in a moment. But he went in 2000 just to see what God was going to tell him to do. He was such a young man. He was only 80 years old when he went. Wow. He was running and managing a very successful ministry out of Norfolk, Virginia called the Union Mission Ministry. He was feeding homeless people. It was a men's shelter, a woman's shelter. He was doing all of this. All of these things. And yet, he said... 
I need to do something. Well, then, fast forward in 2003, I'm sitting in my office, and I'm listening, and as I'm sitting there in my office, listening to what the Lord is doing, and I've been praying about going to Romania because the Lord had laid it on my heart two years earlier, and I was doing a ministry in El Salvador and in Mexico. I didn't want to change that. I enjoyed doing that ministry. We were planting churches. We were seeing people get saved. We were seeing deliverance. We were seeing all kinds of things happen. But God began to speak to my heart about going. So there I am in my office, in my study, praying. And here comes the phone. Now, I was writing my prayers out in that day and time. And what I wrote in my prayer journal was this. Lord, Make way for me to go to Romania or remove the burden from my heart. I can't stand it anymore. I wasn't able to sleep because I was thinking about Romania all the time. And then the second part of that was, Lord, help me reach 100 men for Jesus this year. And the phone rang immediately as I closed my prayer journal and stuck it in my desk. And when the phone rang, it was a good friend of mine. And he says, you're the only pastor I know that has a passport that can go in three weeks. We have a pastor school in Romania. There'll be 100 pastors there. Will you pray about it? I said, I'm in. He said, you haven't prayed about it. I said, you ain't been in my prayer closet. I've been praying about this for two and a half years. The next excuse out of a believing brother now. I can't believe a believing brother would say this. But you're bivocational. You ain't got no money. I said, my father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. If he wants me to go, he'll go. I was pastoring a church of about 50 people. And my church had heard me pray about Romania. And that Sunday I said, in three weeks I'm going to Romania. And you've heard me talk about it and praying about it. So I'm going. I didn't ask permission. I just told him I'm going to obey the Lord. And at the end of a service, the deacon came up and he says, how much is that? And he pulled his checkbook out and he wrote a check, paid for the whole thing. You see, God takes care of his people when we do his ministry. But I want to share just briefly about what the ministry is in Romania. And I'm not going to jump through all the slides there. If you want some more information, I'd like for you to contact me. Just go to that very last slide, if you will, on that presentation. But what we do in Romania is we've been going over there since 2003. We host pastor, pastor schools and pastor's conferences where we educate the pastors. We do a ministry called Feeding Body and Soul. And that Feeding Body and Soul is we go out and we help the orphans and the widows in that community there. We're trying to help the Romanian church see what they can do. But the biggest miracle that has happened is that God has allowed us to purchase 100 acres of property through the gifts and the generosity of people that we never solicited. God just brought it all together. We wanted to see this farm for these orphans so they could have a place of healing and hope. And so we purchased the land in 08. We started building the infrastructure in 09, 10, 11, and 12. In 13, we applied for our license to be a children's home provider. In 2017, we opened our first children's home and in March of 2022, we'll open our second children's home and we'll house more children. And God asked me to step out of a pastorate that I was comfortable in, that I enjoyed, 
that I love the people to step out and take this to the next level. In 2025, we may be the largest child care provider in the country of Romania. We have an opportunity to reach into the foster care system with training and teaching that they need specifically. But guess what? We can bring them tools and training, but this is the good news. I can go into places that they never hear the gospel before, and I can say, these tools and trainings are great, but let me talk about the tool maker. The one that can take these tools and feeble hands and transform human beings. And I get a chance to serve the Lord and do that. And I'm so thankful to be able to be here today because perhaps God is speaking to you and maybe you have a specific call. Perhaps it's Romania. Perhaps it's not. Perhaps it's just to go on a mission trip and you're not even sure why. That's what my son did in 2014 and now he's getting ready to go to Tanzania, Africa. Because there's people all around the world that never heard about Jesus. And how will they know unless they hear? And how will they hear unless a preacher be sent? And every one of you is a preacher of some sort. Maybe you're not a pastor, elder, but you're a preacher. You have a chance to go preach and teach about the kingdom and the king and how we can serve him and how we can then enjoy him forever. So as every head's bowed and every eye's closed, a little music here in the background. This is your time to just ask the Lord. Lord, can I get in on you and the Son and the Spirit praying? Can I hear specifically specifically that prayer? And then, Father, give me the courage to jump in there and say, here I am. Send me. Mm. Father, thank you for your irrevocable call on our lives. That when you called us to be saved, you also called us to serve. But some of us Lord, even my own heart, I declare sometimes, Lord, it's so much easier for me to do what is comfortable or what is convenient or what I already have been doing for a long, long time and not step into the new thing that you are bringing in my path to do. Oh, Lord, grab our hearts. We sang earlier about this heart of mine is yours. Father, may we say that with integrity and with true honesty that it is yours. And Lord, in this room, with all these people, everyone has a specific call on their life to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Some, the ministry is just local their neighbor, 
or another ministry. Some, their ministry is here in the church to step up their participation in this local assembly to be part of the body and the bride of Christ in a more dynamic way that encouragement and unity might be felt and understood. And Or for some, the house call of Israel and the ministry of Israel, the enemy has whispered lies and excuses. Break those lies and excuses, Lord. And for some, Lord, perhaps you're calling to Romania or to another place, another nation, to serve you. Oh, Father, give us courage to abandon our will so we might embrace yours. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Pastor Chris, I want you to, I want you to pray. I want to continue this prayer time for just a moment. Um, would you stand? Somebody gave you, if not on the way in, on the way out, M&Ms. It's reminding us that missions, amen, takes money, it takes muscle. It just takes both. Someone's got to go. Someone's got to be sent. They got to send them. Pastor Chris telling that beautiful story of how he put muscle into action and someone else put the money into action. But together, the kingdom came. And I, and I want to ask because there's an anointing on Chris's life for that. And, and so the invitation wasn't just by a date or by happenstance. I know this man's life. And anyone who has walked in an experience has an anointing on their life to impart that and to pray that by faith. He knows that when you open your life to the Lord and say, Lord, I know what you're stirring me to do. I give in to it. You open the doors and I will go. Right? We won't sit around counting pennies. We just go and God will fund the ministry. And I want him to pray that over us. I want him to pray that impartation as missionaries, be it to your community, your neighborhood, be it to Ocala, Marion County, or maybe God taps you on the shoulder and says, I want to send you. I know we're, you know, we're time conscious, but tell this story quickly of your son and how God used him, spoke to him, and God prepared him at YOM and then put him in the place that the Lord had desired him to be. So my son, my youngest son, Micah, some of you might know him. He's been here several times during the last 10 years and uh, with the youth groups and all. And Micah went with me in 2014 to Romania on a mission trip. I wanted to take all my children on a mission trip so they see God's activity in a foreign country. And Micah's been with me three times. And while we were there on the streets of Timisoara one day, I look at Micah and Micah's weeping. He's weeping and weeping and weeping. I'm wondering, God's touching him. I know God's speaking to him. So later that night, as we had a chance to debrief, I asked Micah, what are you doing? What's God doing in your life? And he said, God told me to go to Mozambique. This was in 2016, this third trip over, second trip over. And, and in 2016, Mozambique. And I'm like, Mozambique? I got to look it up on the map. I don't know where it's at. I know it's in Africa, but I don't know where it's at. 
And he began the process of developing himself for this. COVID hit and all the plans he had made to go there weren't happening. I'm going to tell you about some of the process of developing. What's the first thing you need to learn if you're going to go to Mozambique? What language do they speak? They speak Portuguese as a commercial language. He started learning Portuguese. And then the only door open for him this year was to go to YWAM in Asheville, North Carolina, which was sending missionaries to Columbia. And I said, Micah, I've got friends that send missionaries all over the place. Matter of fact, if you want to go serve in Romania, you can do that. He says, Dad, God told me to go to YWAM. And I don't understand it, and I don't have a passion for Columbia, but I'm going to YWAM because I know God wants me to go to YWAM. I don't know why, I just know. So he went to YWAM, and guess what happened last month? They changed from going to Columbia to go to Tanzania. Now, Tanzania is on the north border of Mozambique. And guess what? It's just a little train ride right into Mozambique. And so God is faithful. Sometimes he gives us a detour, but that detour is part of his plan because he wants to know, will we truly obey him in everything he asks us to do? And I'm so glad because I've not always been faithful to hear those little promptings of the Lord, Ken. And, you know, as a dad, I wanted to impart that to my children. And I'm so glad the Father went through all my weaknesses and still imparted that to my children to be obedient even when I don't understand. So good. So good. I'm going to ask Chris just to pray a missionary mantle on us. Yeah. Whatever avenue that looks like. If you want that, just, just you say, Pastor, I'm not qualified. He qualifies those he calls. That's right. Don't you worry about the qualification. He'll qualify you. Where he puts you, he'll qualify you. If you just want to be used, if you want to, if you heard him in his prayer this morning, who shall I send? <laughs> like Isaiah, let's just say, send us, Lord. Yeah. Pastor, would you pray over us? That's you. I just want you to lift your hands. Hey, God, I just receive what you want to give me this morning. Father, you are the great benefactor. You're the one that blesses us and gives us all the benefits and all the blessings and yet sometimes we get caught up in the blessings and wanting the blessings that we forget about the benefactor so first lord we repent of taking your blessings for granted taking the air we breathe the life we live for granted and today anew and afresh because repentance is that way lord you give us this spirit when we repent and we confess and we own it you say it's over done we're going to talk about something next and so today, Lord, for City Light Church, the light that shines the farthest will shine the brightest at home. Lord, that's a mission mandate you gave me years ago. The light that shines the brightest at home will also shine the farthest. And so, Father, I pray that the people of City Light will hear your specific call and they will have the courage to not listen to the lies of the evil one. 
Father, right now you can rebuke him. And maybe people here have made some kind of covenant or contract with fear or with the enemy. And they don't even know they've made that covenant or contract. But they've agreed with him and they've not agreed with you. And so, Father, help them see the light of that and repent of that. And anew and afresh say, Lord, I'm scared slapped to death, but I'm going to trust you. Father, I, I, I just sense that someone here today has a specific calling that they need the church to hear and to pray for them over. And you sent out Barnabas and Saul as the Holy Spirit led the whole congregation to pray and it became clear who was going to be sent. It became clear to the ambassadors and to the senders. So Lord, if someone's here today and that's their call on their life, a new ministry, a new direction, Father, let them have the courage to just step out and walk down here and talk to their pastor this morning. Just to come down and say, Pastor Ken, I've been holding it in, but I can't hold it in no more. Father, I know the enemy is also speaking to many. And he's telling them, you're not worthy. You can't do that. That's too small for you. That's such an inconvenience for you. You're in a station of life that, I, I, you know, the Lord would never ask that of you. And Lord, I'm reminded of an old man at 80 years old who said, retirement's not in my vision What's in my vision is the next step for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I thank you for a man by the name of Dr. Ted Bashford, who at 80 will step out in faith. And so that keeps us always fighting till the end, Lord, until you call our number, until you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let us continue to listen and wonder about the missionary moments that you might send us and make this church a mission-sending church. May we only realize what this church did for the kingdom when we enter into the great banquet hall of the Lord Jesus. And on that day, we'll only rejoice because Jesus had full weight with us and he had full ability with us and we were moldable in his hands and we were available to him and we didn't count the cost of what it would cost us in human terms. We counted the cost of what it would cost us in spiritual terms knowing that souls need to hear about Jesus and we need to be faithful to that missionary mandate. Release our lips, Lord, to speak. Give us cleverness of conversation to know how to speak and when to speak. Give us clarity on the issue of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. But more than that, Lord, we won't go anywhere unless the Holy Spirit go before us. So let us not jump into presumptuous sins, Lord, but let us listen and obey. That's our heart. And if everyone says that's your heart here today, would you testify by saying we agree? Amen. Amen. Well, we hope that this message has brought you hope and encouragement, and it was just what you needed for today. If you're joining us today and we can partner with you in prayer in any way, it would be our honor. Please reach out to us by visiting our website, mycitylight.org. 
And lastly, if the Holy Spirit has laid it on your heart to give today, you can do that by visiting mycitylight.org and go to the giving tab or text any amount to 84321. Be blessed.